This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're in a, a series uh, called uh, Go, Give, Grow. And let me just bring you up to speed if you want around. Uh, w- the first week I, I, I talked about Go, and I basically said that uh, the mandate, the, the reason why we're all here is that we're to go and to give, give and to grow. And you find that right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. Uh, God says, so God created mankind, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. There's an element right at the very beginning where we're to go and fill the earth and God, and we're to give. God blesses Adam and then says, now be fruitful and bless the earth. Bring God's good rule to the earth and we, to increase in number. So we've, uh, we've never done this before at church because we've, God first, because we've always thought church is much more about values. It's much more about what happens in the soft stuff, in the day-to-day kind of stuff of how church goes, how relationships go, how you walk with Jesus, how you're a disciple, that soft stuff. So, but actually for the first time uh, in our journey, we've actually said, okay, what's God set us to do for targets? And so we set some targets uh, and you can uh, get the podcast if, uh, or the uh, sermon if you really want to dig into this. But the first goal is to have at least 20, 20 people become Christians by 2020. And I said, that doesn't seem very much. Uh, but one of the things that tends to get un- really gets under my skin is that we've seen not enough people become Christians at God first, uh, and we are we exist to for those people that don't know Jesus. We don't just exist for you; we exist for those people that don't know Jesus. And so we we want to bust that wide open. But if we get twenty, that would be a um, that would be a twenty percent increase. It's about a hundred adults are part of God first, and we we say let's let's believe, let's pray for twenty people. And that doesn't happen by uh, them necessarily coming here randomly. It happens by you speaking about Jesus in your workplace uh, and around and about. So we want to be people that go. Uh, and also, one of the going uh, things that we're committed to as a church plant, as a new church that's been around for six, seven years, we're also committed to sending church plants. And so we're going to send a church plant team uh, to London. We'll tell you more about that on our Together Day uh, in a few, uh, few weeks. But we send a church plant into London. Um, and uh, Andy and Vic are going to head that up. I know some people have already put their hand up and said they want to go. Please don't all go. Uh, but some of you are really welcome to go if, if, if that's what you feel called to do. So a church plant into London uh, is really something we feel called to go and do. Uh, and then lastly, uh, then this last week we spoke about give. Uh, we, and I mentioned this earlier, we want to give away 20% of our income. Uh, most churches would give away 10% if they're on point uh, uh, with what the Bible says, but we want to give away 20%. One of the things that God said to me when we moved here to Cheltenham was, this is a rich town, I know, not everybody here is rich, and if you're a student, you're thinking, like my daughter, she said, how can I live on £60 a week? You know, so I get that, uh, but some of you can live on considerably more than that, and there's, there's actually finance in this town uh, that we can bless the nations 
Uh, and so we, uh, we're giving to a church in Dar es Salaam. I'm visiting a church in Nairobi uh, in a, uh, next year, and I, and I want us to give to that. There's churches in Nepal where they, $30 would save a life, change a pastor, pay a pastor for you know, uh, six months. They're just incredibly poor, and we re- don't realize how rich we are. Steve stirred us about that, about living simply. So we want to do that. And also, we want to increase our income uh, by 20% uh, by, to the end of next year. So we've got, what, 16, 15, 16 months. Uh, and so just want you to step in with that, and that's what our gift uh, special offerings for. Okay, so I'm going to talk about growth, so that's where we've gone. I'm going to pray now, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll push into this. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to go. We're not here to sit and stay and observe. We're here to go. I pray, help me, help us to live as missionaries uh, to you, Jesus, out in this town, and wherever we work, wherever we study, wherever we have social life, I pray that we constantly feel we're missionaries. Lord, we don't want to have pins on a map to far distant places. We want those pins in our life that saying we go as missionaries. So I pray, help us to go. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would respond to your great goodness, the giving of yourself by giving our money and our time and our talents. And Lord, I pray as we look at grow, that you'd stretch us out in faith to believe you for much, much more. In Jesus' name, amen. It's actually uh, right that healthy living things are meant to grow. In fact, the picture on the left did have me on, and I thought, no, I'm not going to show you how I've aged. And also, I'm wearing glasses on the right just to cover up my bags. But, but generally, uh, living things are meant to grow. So my kids, that's Damaris, Jonathan, and Zach, they're all off doing uh, university and post-university things, and, and they grow. And we've got some babies um, uh, about to uh, be born or uh, have just been born. And no one ever goes to their doctor and says, you know, I've got a real problem with my baby. They're, they're eating. It's, this baby's eating all the time. They're feeding and feeding. I'm buying them clothes. And then they're growing out of it. You know, it's absolutely crazy what's going on. Everybody expects their baby to grow. In fact, if your baby doesn't grow, it's then you go to the doctor and say, there's a problem. Because my baby's supposed to be growing. And you want that to happen. In fact, we, we, just a little tip, if you're buying clothes, Sophie, it's great you're here, she's past her due date, but if you're buying clothes or whatever for Sophie's baby number two, just buy them, you know, the three-month version. Because everyone buys the kind of newborn and they're gone in a second. So we're, that's our tactic, three months, it helps if we forget the post or we forget to give them to you. But you know, people, are, babies are meant to grow and... And actually, God has created the world to grow. Right at the very beginning, we like to, uh, I'm going to give you the big story of grow as I see it. Um, right at the very beginning of the story in the Bible, uh, God is interested in growth. It says in Genesis, Genesis 2, 8 and 10 and 15, it says, Now the Lord God had planted. And we're planted. You know, we're a church planted. Everything's planted. Everything starts with a little seed. It starts with something and grows. God planted a garden in Eden and put the man he'd formed. Interestingly, he creates the world by saying, let there be light. Let the earth come. But in this case, he stoops and plants. Uh, he, he says, he man, uh, put the man, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. The trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life. That's Jesus, I believe. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The river, uh, a river watering the garden flowed out from Eden. It's already there, this beautiful paradise, this kind of place where God wants life and water and it's flowing out. It's got to go out. It's meant to go out. The Lord God took the man in the garden uh, uh, to work it and take care of it. 
So we get this situation right at the beginning where, where God stoops down and plants a fruitful garden. And, and, and that's almost like the prototype of what's supposed to happen is, you know, I, I'm not saying, don't, you know, we're all supposed to be Alan Titchmarsh. Everyone looks at me, the students all look at me and look. He's a gardener. Does anyone like watch gardening programs just before I insult them? Okay, You're a couple of people. All right. Okay, I, I'm sure it's really gripping and interesting. <laughs> But, you know, the gardening programs, you know, I've got this hedge and it's got leaves, leaves problems, oh, this what happened and this what happened. But actually, it's actually quite biblical to be a gardener, to have a good garden, because God plants a garden and he doesn't say, well, that's all it, just enjoy. He, he says, now, you, now you, plant, you learn how to do it, you learn how to garden. We've just got a bit of lawn with no plants, so obviously I've got some learning to do. But, you know, some of you have sure got lovely gardens. But God stoops down and plants a fruitful garden. Humanity is to work that garden and then extend that kind of prototype garden to the whole earth. He's, they work the garden, be fruitful, make, the, make it good, make it lots of fruit to eat, a great place to live. And then when you've done that, that's got to be extended out to the whole earth. Fill the whole earth. Go and do that. And so that that's kind of like all at the beginning that God wants to get us to plant things and to, for them to grow and them to be fruitful and that to bless everybody. And he carries on with this kind of idea as you come to Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham, the kind of first, when, when it all goes wrong and then God uses Abraham to say, right, okay, let's restart. Let's reboot this story. And God says to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation. We read some of this last week. I'll make you, a uh, week before, I'll make a great nation and I will bless you. And I'll make your name great and you'll be blessed. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed by you. So we've got this blessed to be a blessing. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Through your seed, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Obviously, he's saying this to guy Abram. If you know the story, Abram cannot have kids. Uh, he's been told that I'm going to give, make you fruitful. I make one of your seed, one of your offspring is going to be the one who's going to bless the whole earth. And he hasn't got anyone. He can't have kids. Uh, and, and God says to him, come on, come on, come on, Abram. Just come outside of your tent. Stop getting depressed and thinking it can't happen. Come outside, look at the stars. He said, now look out at the stars. He says, so many will your offspring be? So many will your kids be? You can't have any nation, any kids at all, but I'm going to give you multitudes of kids. So he changes his name from exalted father to father of many nations, and he still hasn't had any kids. But there's this sense right from the beginning that he says, no, I'm going to bless you, you're going to have kings come from you. So that idea of a king and a seed, one single, it's a single, it's not plural seeds, one seed, one king is going to come. You know who that is, but let's uh, follow the story through. Okay, so then God makes Abraham into a great nation like he's promised, and the second king, the first king blows out Saul, the second king, he also receives the same kind of promise to grow and bless. said, now David, God says to David, now David, 1 Chronicles 17, now David, I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. There's that promise all the time to make your name great. Sometimes God makes, makes... churches and makes people great because he wants their influence and I don't think it's wrong to say people are going to know about God first or people are going to know about churches for the influence. God make your name great like the greatest men on earth. It says I'll provide a place for my people Israel and then I will, there he goes, plant them. So you can have a house or a home of your own. It's that kind of garden thing all over again. It says and I will raise up your, say it, your seed. Oh here we are. There's the 
it's the same promise rebooted. I'm going to raise up your seed. It's kind of planting language, isn't it? I will raise up your seed, one of your own sons. So this is the son of David, and he will establish his kingdom and throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Oh, I thought it was David's son. No, no, he's God's son. This is God's son. I will never take my love away from him. I will set his throne over my house and my kingdom. So it starts off being David's son and David's house and David's kingdom. It sounds like, well, I'm just going to make Israel great. It says, no, no, actually, I'm going to make this one. who's an offspring of David. I'm going to make him bless the whole world. It's interesting. So it's the same idea. If you uh, find an Israeli shekel, uh, on the back of it, there's a, 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 they have a picture of a vine. Because they've got this in their culture, you'll know that maybe quite a secular nation in many ways now, uh, uh, and you know, they've got this idea that they're planted by God, they're this vine, and this idea of a vine that God planted that's going to bless and be fruitful and bless the nations. Uh, so God plants a nation in Israel as his pr- prototype people. So it starts as a prototype garden, then it's a prototype people. God blesses King David, promises seed shall reign on the throne of God's kingdom forever. We know this, where this is going, don't we? But let's go with it. You read this at Christmas and we kind of read it out of context, but we need to understand this is all about, this is about God is going to do something that's going to bless the whole earth. For unto us a child is born. This is this anticipation of, God, when are you going to do that promise to Abraham, to David? When are you going to do it? Unto us a child is born and a son is given and the rule of the kingdom will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of the extent of his, ki- his rule and peace, there'll be no end. This is this guy who's going to be one seed, one offspring of, of David, this one man who's going to be, uh, whose throne's going to last forever, who's going to extend, his kingdom's going to go on and grow and grow and grow. I, he will reign in David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with righteousness from that time forward and forever. And who's doing this? The zeal of the Lord Almighty is doing it. It's not us doing it. It's not churches doing it. It's not Israel doing it. God's doing it. He's saying, I am going to set this guy and he's going to be bless the whole earth. God's, uh, there's a picture then as Israel goes into exile, there's a picture then uh, that Daniel has. Daniel's living in Babylon, he's taken from Israel and he's taken to Babylon. And, he, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful king in, in all the world at that time, has a, cra- has a crazy dream uh, of this rock that's cut out without human hands. It's quarried out without human hands, it almost it just emerges out of this quarry. And then he sees a massive statue of clay and bronze and iron and bronze and silver and gold and the rock comes and hits this statue, the statue crumbles, and then the rock grows to fill the whole earth. And he doesn't know what it means. And he says to all these kind of astrologers, and what's it mean? Daniel says, I can tell you what it means. He says, in the time of those kings, the kings of, uh, of, of the nations of those, so Rome and Persia and all that, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be overthrown, or never left to another people. It will bring all other kingdoms to nothing, it, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut, but not by human hands. The rock that struck the, struck the statue became a mountain and grew to fill the whole earth. God gives this picture of uh, God's kingdom that's going to grow and fill the whole earth. 
Now, you might not feel like that's what's happening, but actually that is what is happening. That is the destination of history. God's kingdom, God's rule is going to grow and fill the whole earth. And so what happens is, it, it, Jesus is born, the son unto us, a son is given, born of a virgin. Jesus comes and everybody's saying, is this the one born of David? Is, is this the king? But the kingdom comes quite differently from how you'd expect. You'd expect this kingdom that's going to bless and fill the whole earth is going to uh, come in this kind of amazing demonstration of, magi- of amazing power and military might. But it comes very quietly. It comes quite hidden. Jesus talks about this kingdom. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? A mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, there it is again, seed and planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. God's saying that this, this kingdom, this little kingdom, that, that almost is almost like this small mustard seed, uh, it's going to go into the ground and, and it's going to be buried and, and, and it's almost going to be, well, where is it? Where is it? Secret and hidden. It's not gonna, uh, uh, there's not going to be any obvious sign of it. But he said eventually what's going to happen is this seed is going to sprout and it's going to grow and his kingdom and Jesus' rule is going to fill the whole earth. You're, you're kind of sitting there like, uh-huh. You need to get this inside your skin. You need to get this inside of your skin that God's rule and God's kingdom is going to fill the whole earth. We can live in Western Europe, or we can live in a university campus or a workplace, or we can live as if, as if this isn't true. God's kingdom is going to come and fill the whole earth. But it's going to come in a different way than, than other kingdoms have come. So Jesus, talking about his, his death and resurrection, says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain or a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself, who's the seed, as it were. He's talked about him seed. It's like this. His body is going to be, his body's going to be put under the ground. And I don't know if you've ever done those things at school. I mean, Naomi does it with her kids, where actually what happens to the seed is that it falls into the ground and it seems to die, but actually it, it breaks open. And out from the seed comes this little plant. And actually that plant grows massive and produces seed after seed after seed. Little ones like Jesus, little Christians that have the same impact. That's what Jesus is, is talking about when he talks about his, 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 a seed falls into the ground and dies. That's the way the kingdom comes. That's the way the kingdom comes. You don't just get to sit and observe it, people. You have to go the same way. It starts kind of hidden. It starts kind of unseen. It starts kind of improbable. It starts kind of like it's never going to happen. But what, what you're asked to do as little seeds of Jesus is to, is to let your life go into the ground. It's to die to ambition and, and, and comfort and ease and let it go into the ground and then, and then, as it were, rise again with Jesus. That's what happens in baptism. You get buried under the ground and then you come out of the ground almost like a new creation and out of you should come this blessing for the whole nations. And Jesus had died and talking about what's going to happen, he says, this gospel, 
of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end has come. This story of Jesus, this good news of Jesus, is to go to the whole world. So therefore, we should expect this church to grow. That, all of that was that. We should expect this church to grow. Because you can look at society, you can look at churches, you might have come from all sorts of different churches, or different backgrounds, you might have come from no church background, but you should expect this church to grow. If it's healthy, it's supposed to grow. Because God has made a kingdom that's a small mustard seed that's going to be this massive tree. This small rock that's going to fill the whole earth. The rock, that, the seed that falls in the ground is going to die. And God is working that. He's tending it. He's doing it. He did it in the garden. He's done it in Israel. He's doing it with us. We're supposed to grow. And as we grow, we're supposed to bless the nations. We're supposed to bless people around us. It's supposed to be, God first challenge is supposed to be good news, not just for you. I hope it is good news for you. But it's supposed to be good news for the people around. It's supposed to be like a vine that grows up full of fruitfulness that everyone thinks, oh, I just want a taste of that. So we're going to talk, let's just drill it down into a couple of uh, goals then. The first grow that we've talked about, and there could be lots of things, because the church is supposed to grow in influence, it's supposed to grow in blessing the nations, it's supposed to make a difference in this town, it's supposed to be involved in its culture, its politics, its business, its horse racing weeks, I don't know, whatever, its festivals, you know, we're supposed to be involved in those things, we're supposed to touch those kind of things, we're supposed to have a difference in those kind of things. But actually, we, so we could have chosen loads, but we feel like as a church that, that this has got under our skin and we need to, to get to it. So we, we're saying by 2020, we'll have a social justice project with a team of 20 people by 2020. Now, 20 people isn't very much, but if you said, well, you know, a, a, a fifth of the church is involved in social justice care, I, I think that would be great. I think if we got bigger, then I'd like more than 20. I'd like to have more projects. One of the challenges with churches, though, that, that what you do is you pay, you want to pay somebody to do the social justice so you can feel good about it. And in one sense, that's better than nothing. We're not even doing that, so I'm not poking at anything. You want to sort of pay somebody and say, you love the poor, you're amazing with people in debt, you, you're great with broken marriages, pregnancy crisis, you're good with all those things. Why don't we pay you to do that and we'll just cheer you on? But actually what we want to do is we want to catch up everybody in this. I need to be caught up in this. Because I've described Cheltenham before like a big, warm, comfy sofa. If you're new to Cheltenham, that's what it's like. The longer you sit in Cheltenham, the more it's like, oh, yes. You just squash on down and you just kind of soft, you just push the curtains and it just it draws you in and you think, oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, I'll just stay in. I'll just relax. I'll just enjoy. I'll just, hmm. And I love that about Cheltenham, you know, don't get me wrong. I lived in Salford, for goodness sake, which is like a bed of nails. But <laughs> you're like, oh, I must get up and worship Jesus. But, you know, you sink into the sofa and you say, oh, yeah. And, and, then, and then somebody says, well, wouldn't it be great to be involved with people that are poor? And you think, yeah, that would be a really great idea. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a great idea? And then you kind of look around for who's going to do it. I, I'm like that. We need to get involved. We need to get involved. A Dutch guy, Abram Kuyper, a uh, preacher and journalist in uh, uh, the last century said, there is not a square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say mine. He wants to touch every area of life around us. 
He wants to touch those people that are poor and broken. Jesus, when he did his kind of mandate, well, this is what I'm about, goes to a synagogue, they hand him a scroll from the day and say, well, this is a reading from the day, from the reading from the day. Maybe some of you do that. You have a reading for the day. This is the reading for the day. He comes and he, he opens the scroll and reads this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me or filled me with his spirit to preach the good, to, to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He says, the Spirit of God's on me and this is why I've come. I've come to bless the poor. I've come to heal broken families. I've come to set free people stuck in addiction. I've come to open the eyes of people that are doing stupid things with their lives. I've come to bring... Liberty to the sex trafficked and the poor and the broken. I've come to do that. And they're absolutely shook. The people hearing it are are appalled. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Because Israel had forgotten it was supposed to be this prototype nation to bless everyone. And they want to kill him. Abram Kuyper again says this. Giving ourselves for Jesus' sake ought to be much more strongly developed amongst us Christians. We all kind of say, mm-hmm, yep. Giving ourselves for Jesus' sake, being that seed that goes into the ground and dies, that's kind of underdeveloped in us. Ought to be much more strongly developed amongst us Christians. And then he has a little go at, sounds like he's having a go at big government, but he's not. He's having a go at small-minded churches. The government cannot take the place of Christian love. I like to read history, actually, and... Uh, one of the things that's been in our nation from right from the beginning is that, that, that people ch- p- cared for the poor. And always, right from Saxon England, the forefront of that were God's people. Always. But somewhere along the line, that got co-opted out to the government. And I'm not against government welfare or helping, I think. It's great that we've got that in our nation. But actually, that doesn't get us off the hook. He writes... The government cannot take the place of Christian love. A loving embrace isn't given with the government's food stamps. The care of a loving community isn't provided with its social housing. The face of our creator isn't found on its welfare vouchers. What the poor need is not another government program. What they need is for Christians like me to honour our saviour, giving ourselves for Jesus. I think, whew, that's huge. You're saying we should be the ones that fill the gaps in this town? God first, we have a long way to go. But we want to make some steps. Steve, why don't you just come up and just give us a little five minute on what you're doing and then I'll give us one more goal and then we'll land it down. Yeah, so I can't agree with any more of that. Um, we, I guess we feel as a church that social justice is something God has talked to us about on a couple of occasions. Um, I did a preaching when we were doing a series on Proverbs a while ago and... Um, when I was preparing to preach, I just felt so challenged by it. I was like, man, it's going to be really difficult to preach this uh, with integrity because I just recognize what the Lord is saying um, about the poor. And, you know, it's easy to think just like poor financially, but God's just got such a heart for people who are poor socially, poor um, physically, locationally. There's, he's, he's just got a real heart for those people, and he really calls us to it. And, and I think when, when we were preaching that and when we were thinking about that as a church, I think 
I think we'd all, it just felt like it's hard to look at the word and say that's not what the Lord's saying. And for me, the challenge was it's hard to look at that and think, yep, that's what the Lord says about the poor to us as a church and feel like, are we missing something that God has called us to? Are we being disobedient um, to an area of the gospel? So that's really sat with me um, and Joe, my wife, um, for a while. So what we're going to do, we've just, um, we've been in a G1C, which is one of our Wednesday small groups. Um, for a while, Rich and Abby uh, are leaving, and they were leading that, and we were going to take that back on. Um, but we actually feel, um, as as leaders and as a church, and as we've discussed this, that we really want to step forward in this. So we're making space um, for us to do something about it. So um, we we've stepped back for a little bit. We're going to spend some time praying, asking the Lord, um, is there a specific people group that He could put on our hearts? Um, gathering a small team as well, and then it, our small group will basically be us. Um, going after something social actually and <clears throat> excuse me there is no end of stuff you could do like that is the issue is not that actually if you start thinking about that and start like, your heart being challenged by that you'll find any excuses that you think you have as to why any excuses i think i for i had as to why i'm not like engaged in loving the poor um are taken away by the sheer plethora of people who are poor in one way or another and the sheer number of ways in which one could help them um, but I think we did recognize as we stepped out a little bit as a small group um, that Wednesday evenings aren't a very easy time to do it. Like It's, it's really hard. It's just, it's just Wednesday evenings aren't really set up for the best way to do that. So I think we recognize that our small group will be, um, it'll have to be quite committed. The reality is we're not going to be able to do much on a Wednesday evening. It might be that we meet in prayer on a Wednesday evening. But the reality is I think we want to, um, I guess we want to believe that thing of of seeds you know we might want to put to death some things in ourselves in terms of like all of my free time and actually i'm only committed to a wednesday evening and put that to death in us and as a small group and see the fruit that comes from that the plants that grow from that um yeah and we don't want to keep it to ourselves as well i think is the other thing so we're also really what we would what would be the ideal thing is if we feel like god maybe gives us a couple of things the coffee mornings is actually part of what we're doing as well and that is that's big it's a great opportunity to invite people there's the social justice element there of kind of like people who are physically ill we've done one before for cancer um and it's a great place to invite um non-christian friends um and and see people love through that way as, as well as just supporting the charity but we would love to get things that we can plug into as a church it's like how it said at the beginning what we don't want is is for people to think oh great so how it just preached to us that's really challenging about social justice but someone's doing it so that is ticked for us as a church that's not how we feel but also we'll feel terrified if everyone else feels like that and we're just left to it so we would love to find like some openings for us maybe with like other churches for council organizations but like actually they're like we've got this thing on that we could really do with 30 40 people and like hey we know 30 or 30 people so it might be something that you do from time to time but yeah great great thanks steve so I don't need that, I've got this. Um, so uh, it, it's supposed to catch you up. So if you're a visitor here, this is supposed to get you and challenge you. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't um, just kind of enjoy community and be around and whatever, but, but somewhere along the line, Steve or one of his guys is going to be saying, come on, are you in this? What are you doing? If we haven't got a viable social justice project in three years' time, we probably should pack in and go home. So it's pretty big. Okay, second goal, and then we'll land this down, is we want to grow to be a church of 200 by 2020. Now, the thing about putting numbers on sizes of churches that everyone thinks that that's what it's about, that, that numbers define it all, but I think sometimes putting a goal is good. Uh, this is our trajectory. Uh, uh, do you like this little graphic I did? Amazing, eh? I made a graph and put a little image behind, and it just tracks really nicely with the tree growth, doesn't it? So we started in 2010 with less than, with about 14 of us. And we're rolling through. Uh, we uh, 
moved here, was it 2015 we moved to this venue? 2015, 14, 15 we moved there and we saw some growth and at the moment we're about 2017, with kids we're about 125. That's people on church app, some of you are more in than others, but basically just if we're counting roughly what it is, uh, we're about 125. And what we're saying is we want to grow. Oh, why do we want to grow? So we can have great worship? Yeah, that helps. Why do we want to grow? So that there's more people for you to be friends with? Yeah, that helps as well. But actually, we want to grow because we want to go. We want to grow because we want to have more influence. We want to be able to say, 20 people into social action. We can do that. We can do that twice. Send a church plant? Yeah, we do it once. We do it twice. 20% of our income? Hey, let that, be, let that be not just tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands. We want to grow so that we can go and we can give and we can bless. Uh, I did this with the, the mission stuff, so... So basically, these are what the cogs... It's supposed to be animated as well, and anyway, never mind, never Basically, if you said, what's the key things that's, that's characterised us as the church? Big community. Uh, I've sent some students, uh, we're not a great big church, so you, we'll get to know you, and you can be friends with us, and you know, you probably get my, my, my number on your cell phone if you're really bothered about having my number. You know, we're kind of that small... But we know each other. And at the beginning, when it was 14 of us, it was just a sense of community. And we said, well, let's talk about, let's talk about Jesus. So we had those two cogs. We had the gospel and community. One of the things that happens when you plant a church, if you ever get the pleasure to go with Andy and Vic or go with us and plant a church, everybody in the church plant is all in. Yeah, you're all in. If there's 14 of you, you're all there. 14 praying. If you go out on the street giving out balloons and leaflets, all 14 of you are there. If you say, let's, let's give financially, you're all in. But what happens is the church gets bigger, you start to get 25, 30, 40, 50, 100 people. Do you know how many come to the prayer meeting? About 14. And how many want to do stuff with the poor? About 14. You know, how many want to give big? Well, thankfully it's bigger than 14. We're not doing too bad. But do you see how it works? The Pareto principle is called 20, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Yeah? I, I don't want that to be in our church. I want us all to be in. I want us all to own it. Own it means that when you come on Sunday morning, you're part of the welcome team. Oh, you don't wear a badge, but you're part of the welcome team. You're part of the discipleship team. That somebody who comes and is vulnerable and needs care and love, then, then you, you grab them and say, let's have coffee, let's be friends. It's not just for Abby. Where's Abby? It's right at the back. Where it's not for Abby just to be welcoming to other people and we'll just kind of hot tub together and love each other. No, we're supposed to connect and love, and we want all in. And one of the things that I'm scared about growing is I don't want just to have uh, 200 people and 14 at the prayer meeting. I want us all in. So if you don't want to be all in, there's some other churches that you know are wanting to be all in, but you could probably hide there. Or some other churches that maybe think actually getting you off your backside isn't the priority. But we want you all in. So if you want to be part of us, you want to be all in. And then what we're saying, so we've had that sort of stuff, but what we're saying now is let's add another cog. And that's why I've tried to tell you the Bible story that this is that healthy things and churches and God's kingdom is meant to grow. So I want you to believe that we're here to grow. I want you to believe God we're here to grow. I don't want you to look at Howard and say, well, maybe he's a reasonable preacher, maybe we could grow about that. Or isn't this a great theatre? Maybe that'll help us grow. Or didn't Tom, Will, Tom, Tom Smith do very well this morning? Maybe we should get a light show. I mean, I, I was crazy in Manchester. We tried to, I thought, I'll do whatever I can to get, it, get the church to grow. So I wear a cool shirt. We had a light show. We had a DJ at the beginning. Boom, 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 you know, whatever. We had the lights, went smoke machines, whatever. 
somewhere along the line I thought, I forgot what makes this grow. God plants, God waters, God makes it grow. God lays down his life, we lay down, that's what makes it grow. Now I don't want to say that the worship needs to be terrible and we have no, nothing that looks cool and we'll strip it all down and be rubbish. I wear a ripped t-shirt and smell horrible, you know. The other worship band will be out of tune, but hey, bless him, he loves Jesus. You know, we don't want to do that, but ultimately, we want to add faith. God, we want to grow this. This theatre, when we do that, we'll seat 220 if you all sit next to each other. I know some of you struggle with community and you don't sit next to anyone. But, you know, or, but if you, we'd, with 220 would go there. If we went upstairs, that would be interesting. I'd preach from the stage if we did that. Uh, that's another 100. So if everyone sat cheek by jowl, we could get like 320, 330 in here. So we've got space to grow. The challenge, though, with, with these things is that, that we feel that sometimes, well, the way you've got to grow is you've got to dial it down. Can you preach for less time? I mean, that was probably a good idea, by the way. <laughs> Mark will tell me on Tuesdays we play golf. Man, what is it like? But, you know, we, could, we don't want to compromise the gospel. We don't want to stop talking about Jesus to make it easy for people to come. Do we? We, we don't want to compromise what we're, the things that have been our growth cogs to start with. So we're going to change them. We don't want to abandon community. But you know what happens is more people come, you're going to have to work harder at being friends with people. And you have to be more proactive at being friends with people. You know, we don't want to come to that tipping point where you look around and think, I don't really know anyone. So I won't really speak to anyone. You know, when the church gets to about 200, it's like, oh, we don't know who's here. So what the heck? Doesn't matter if you come. I know whether you come. I am watching you. <laughs> I know if you're not here. You know, but, but 60% of people, uh, 60% of uh, Christians come 60% of the time to church. Six Sundays out of ten. I want more than that. Not because we want bombs and seats, because we're in this together. We're this rock that's going to grow to fill the whole earth. Not God first, God's church. So we want to, we're going to have, but we're going to have to work harder at community. Do you know, some churches don't grow because they think, I don't want any new people because I've got enough friends here and it's cool. You know, I enjoy going around Paul and Molly's for food and man, if, I, if we have more people, I'm not going to get invited. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I love having these guys in my group. What about these strangers? I don't want them. Do you know, and churches might never say that, but that's what they do. And they stick. We're going to have to work harder at community. We're going to have a second staff member by the grace of God, but that is not to decrease your ownership. It's not like, hey, great, we've got this guy coming now. He's going to work with Howard. Howard's rather inefficient. We'll get this guy. Maybe he'll work inefficient. We'll get more out of Howard and this guy. So I can do a little less here. I was at a, a, a church where I used to go to another church in this town, and it was a wedding. And the, the guy that was putting away the chairs. And all the church members were just around, just chatting to each other. So I said to this guy, I said, why aren't they helping you put the chairs away? He said, well, because they think the staff's going to do it. And I said to there's three or four of us from God first, and I went, come on, let's put the chairs away. Yeah? And he was like, wow. And I thought, well, it's easy because we're kind of all in. There's only 14 of us. You know, we're all in. We do chairs. You know, we do all those things. But we don't want to get to a size where, where you, you pay me to do the work. I mean, I, hopefully I work hard. 
We, second staff member is not to disagree our ownership. So we're not going to compromise the gospel. We're, not going to, we're still going to have real community. We're still going to have ownership. And we're not going to have faith in systems. One of the things that Andy and Vic will find when they plant their church, I am coming to land, when they plant their church, that, that, that all you've got is God, Vic. You know, you think, how am I going to pay for that? How are we going to do that? Who's going to join us? Lord, let's pray. We need to pray. You know, we better talk to our neighbours about Jesus. Because all you've got is God. But when you get to 100, 150, 200, you think, yeah, we got God, but we got 35,000 in the bank. We've got a nice venue. We've got two staff. You know, we've got good publicity. We've got a decent website. Hey, we don't need God. I said that when we're talking about the churches, where people say, I'm rich, I don't need anything. God says, I'll speak out my mouth. Hmm, please don't, Jesus. Let's keep faith in God. Let me finish with this quote. I was thinking about, how, how can I finish this? In the end... It could be just information this morning. Yeah, we're going to try and do some things, and that's interesting. Yeah, oh, isn't it interesting how the Bible talks about seeds and plants and kings all the way through? Mm, nice, interesting. There's a guy who uh, leads a church in Chicago. Uh, name drop. I did have the privilege of going to his house. And um, he... Uh, he said, well, what kind of church is it? I said, well, it's kind of a church plan. This is when I was in Manchester. We're just starting. He said, you know, what kind of church is it? I said, well, it's kind of an evangelical, charismatic church. And he, he doesn't do the kind of Holy Spirit speaking in tongues thing. So he looks me in the eye and says, so, so what is it for you? what's it all about for you then, Howard? What's it all about for you? And he, he's Dutch, uh, and he kind of pressed his finger. Stand up, see if I'm going to demonstrate how you... He pressed his finger into me and said, what is it all about for you? And I'm thinking, Flip, you're the pastor of this 25,000 church and I've got this little church, but what's it all about for you? And he presses his finger into me. He says, is it, really, is it going to be about just speaking in tongues? I thought, well, I do, I do believe that's a spiritual gift of God. So he said, what is it all about? And in a moment of inspiration, perhaps, I felt under pressure. He had a tea towel in his hand. I thought he was going to ask me to wash up. No, in a moment of inspiration, he said, I said, it's about seeing God's kingdom come to people that don't know him. And he said, I am so glad you're in my house. Because actually, this guy was a student and he's sitting in a, a class of people who are training to be pastors. And this is what he writes about that experience. And I want you to feel the same as him. As I, as I read it, I thought, I want to feel the same as him. It's funny when, let me read it. When I've heard, first heard Dr. B, that's what he calls this guy, Gilbert Bilzenkian. And I'm surprised that's why he calls him Dr. B. <laughs> when I first heard Dr. B talk about the life of a biblically functioning community, emotions welled up inside of me that I had never known. When he talked about the, passion, the potential of the local church, I felt passion. So strongly I could barely keep from crying. Other times I wanted to jump up and shout, People, this is it! Don't you see it? Can't you feel it? The local church is the hope of the world. It's the God-commissioned redemptive agency that's the future of the entire world hangs on. Cancel your career plans. Do something with the one and only life. Lay it down for the local church. He says, 30 years later, I can still feel the same. 
If you strapped a heart monitor on my chest when someone talks about the beauty or the wonder or the potential of the local church, it would beep and smoke and flash, danger, danger. Nothing comes close to stirring those, fe- stirring those feelings in me like the local church. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.